This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Fleur Hassan Nahum is Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, and she's busy. A flying visit to the UK gave us the chance to chat on Johnny Gould's Jewish State, her second appearance. Another year to go in Jerusalem, but she'll keep us guessing about whether she'll stand for another term because there's a Likud government she has her eye on to be part of, maybe a Knesset member further down the road, and given her rather unique background. There's an ambassadorial air about Fleur, apart from her undoubtedly strong diplomatic skills and ability to talk to diverse communities. The fact she comes from Gibraltar, a British rock off the Spanish mainland, in view of Morocco, mother tongues, English and Spanish, perfect Ivrit, of course, and the daughter of Jib's first chief minister. She's got to be a shoe-in. Let's also have a sober chat about Smotrich and Ben Gavir, the extreme end of Netanyahu's comeback government. What are they really about? Is Bibi actually the route to a more stable Israel? Why the deal with Hezbollah and Lebanon's government over the Karish gas field has many positives. Qatar, the World Cup, the slavery and deaths, and the outside possibility that one day they may be peace partners with Israel. Thank you for the amazing response to the previous episode with Catherine Perez-Shakdan. Not heard it yet? Her extraordinary life in Iran as a French Jew mixing with the Ayatollah and the ruling classes is a story of the like you've never heard before. So the Ayatollah Khamenei mm-hmm. sat down with a Zionist yes. for 30 minutes. For 30 minutes. Have you got any photos? No, I don't. You're not allowed. No. No. So and my phone was taken from me. Um, you can't, you know, I mean, you know, obviously... That's a scared. tremendous humiliation for him. Oh, they're paranoid. Yeah. So you can't, you can't shake his hands, obviously. No. Um, that's and not sneered. That's not no. uh, a Jewish that's, issue. That's, no. <laughs> what did you talk about? Uh, what did we talk about? And there's always time for Eddie Cohen. He's huge in the Arab world. Half a million Twitter followers for his ability to talk in native Arabic. He was born and raised in Beirut. Now I have approximately half a million followers in the Arab world. Because the Arabs, they want to know about us, about the Jewish people. They want to know about the Jewish religion. They are very curious. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State, North America, Europe, 
the Commonwealth, the whole of the Middle East. The world is listening. Listening. For the second time, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. It's so wonderful to be invited back, Johnny. Thank it's, you. It's a pleasure to have you, and there's a lot to report about because you don't stand still. <laughs> really? You don't stand still. You are still the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. Yes. Which is the kind of bedrock of your identity. It's the beta testing model for the rest of the state of Israel. That's what you told me last time. Jerusalem is, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm yes. very happy there. Yes. But you're ambitious too. Yes, apparently. So you won't be deputy mayor forever. You're going to be in the Knesset, aren't you? Uh, well, I tried. It didn't work no, no. this time. Yeah, it didn't work this time. But a lot of good people didn't make the selection either. That's right. It was a very strange election, actually, the Likud primaries. Anybody who didn't talk about one specific topic did not really get any type of uh, positive platform. And what were those issues? <laughs> well, the issues that uh, myself and my good friend Eddie Cohen didn't talk about so much because we're both in the you know field of international relations and building bridges with the Arab world. That apparently was not um, something that resounded with the Likud electorate. It was all about the, ju- the justice system, judicial review, laws, those are the things that were really resonating. Now, there is a schism, is there not, between something called the Jewish state and something called the Jewish and democratic state? Well, I don't know why so the I- to... So the idea is that yeah. the left-leaning uh, electorate talk about the what about the Arabs, as though the Arabs aren't emancipated within Israel. And it's like as though they're denying the reality. There is a lot of good about the progressive nature of Israeli society. First of all, Israel is a very progressive country. Let's not make any mistake about it. It doesn't matter who's in government. Israel is a progressive country because we're a democracy that protects the rights of our minorities. And we have 20% of an Arab minority in the country who have every single opportunity that anybody else has. Are there some idiots who are a little bit racist? Well, are they not in England? Are they not in America? We have idiots everywhere, ignorant idiots everywhere. But in general, the country is very accepting of all of its minority groups. And it doesn't matter which government is, is in power. Um, and so that's the first thing. Kind of incenses me that every time we say Jewish state, we have to keep, we have to kind of qualify that with Jewish and democratic state. There is no contradiction. And we, sh- you know, do we say the UK democratic government? Why is Israel the only country that we, everybody has to always keep reminding everybody that it is democratic? Enough. We've been a democracy. We're a liberal democracy for 75 years. Please, God, we're celebrating. Enough of, of this excusing ourselves all the time. We have nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. On the contrary, we have a lot to be proud about. And hyper-democratic Yes. You know, we we change leaders in Britain all the time, but there's no election. Whereas in Israel, they're changed all the time. And in a whirlwind of billions of shekels spent on electing them, we're back to square one because Netanyahu is prime minister. Well, I wouldn't say that's square one. Uh, (laughs) As a member of his party, I would say that what we've seen here is the complete resounding failure of the no BB camp just going on that for two years and the electorate are like, you know what? We've got bigger things to worry about enough with this no BB thing. And they brought BB back and that's that. But it, this is a, t- it's, it's a testament on the failure of, you know, of basing your entire political identity on one thing. We don't want BB. Mm. And that was that camp. 
Yeah. They offered no alternative mm. except, you, you know, with us, you're not going to get BB. Well, you know what? The electorate got tired of it and said, well, this is unstable. We'd rather have a strong leader like BB back. And that's that. So now we have a government with some direction, uh, which a slight majority of the country backs. What can we expect from the government over the next four years? Well, I think you can expect a little bit more political stability in the sense that, you know, decisions will be made and things will be done. There's a lot of things that I think are on the on the agenda, on the political agenda. One of them is indeed um, curtailing the very expansive powers of judicial review of the Israeli Supreme Court. A lot of people are very panicked about this and all we're trying to do is be more a little bit like UK and the US. So I love this kind of fake outrage from people who don't know what they're talking about. And what are the issues within that Supreme Court? What, well, what, the what, are, what are the left worry about? Well, the left worry about the protection of minority rights. Um, and, you know, I understand their concern because ultimately the Supreme Court is the only real check and balance over the legislature and the executive. However... The um, Supreme Court has taken powers for itself um, and become, it's called judicial activism. In other words, they're acting like legislators. And so a lot of people are saying, well, this means that this is not balanced. The other issue that I have with the, uh, with the Supreme Court is that it's, um, the way that it's elected is that the, the judges themselves have veto power on who they let in. So basically they're only letting in their friends. And their friends are a very small section of the population, you know, in other words, much less Sephardis than should be, mm. and all sorts of other kind of... Yeah. It's the one percenters that live in yeah. one place that think of things in one way. Yeah. And so there should be a little bit more diversity in the Supreme Court, more women, uh, more, more uh, Sephardis, minorities, Arabs. And so this is, you know, these are things that have to be done. But again, you know, everything is doomsday. When the, yeah. right, the right wing is in power, whether it's here with the Conservative Party yeah. or whether it's in Israel or whether it's in America with Trump, you know, the press kind of conspire with these doomsday scenarios that in the end never happen. And even if there's a little budget here and there, it's legitimate. There's a new government. Um I think what you will see is an expansion of the Abraham Accords. That's particularly what I'm excited about. Because, look, it, let me tell you, in the Gulf, going up and down the Gulf as I do, having a lot of very deep friendships there, people were dying for Bibi to come back. Yeah. Because in the Gulf, they respect, the Arab world respects strong leadership. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And what we've seen in Israel for the last year is a lot of zigzagging and a lot of capitulation. Believe me, the Arabs do not respect that. Very quickly on this, before we move on to the makeup of the Netanyahu government, Saudi are kind of operating as a proxy member of the Abraham Accords without actually yes. signing the deal. But they won't sign the deal no. while Sleepy Joe is in the White House. I think it's more than Sleepy Joe. 
I think it's, um, there's a few things. First of all, the father of MBS is and has been for many years a champion of the Palestinian cause. Now in the Arab world, you know, you respect your elders, which is something we all could learn something from. <laughs> Jews, I think Jews are the same in a sense, yeah. but we're kind of losing it a bit. But in the Arab world, the elderly... Paternalistic. But it's not just paternalistic, it's also maternalistic. Right. Actually, this is something... That one of my biggest discoveries... Just sidetrack a second. That's good. One of my biggest discoveries in the Abraham Accords has been that I went in there thinking it was a big patriarchal society and I realised that it's actually a big matriarchal society. Right. They all fear their mothers. <laughs> They're all mommy's boys, even mm. more than Ashkenazi Jewish men. Really? It's incredible, yes. Really? All mommy's boys. I didn't think that was possible. I know. But the, the, the mother is the really the centre of the family. That was, for me, one of my biggest uh, discoveries. So, sidetrack back, it is a society respecting their elders, mother or father. And MBS will not make peace with Israel unless, um, whilst his father's still alive and, you know, he's, he's very ill, so we don't know what's going to happen there. But also, I think that MBS is looking to see some type of overture to the Palestinians. Now, MBS is plainly aware that if the Palestinians have not had peace with Israel, it's because they haven't wanted to, because Israel has tried many times, as you know. Um, and so I think it's going to be a combination of what's happening in America, um, of course, having Bibi in power is going to be a big advantage in that. Um, MBS's father maybe um, moving, you know, to the next world, and maybe that'll open up right. something, and that that type of thing. There's lots. It's not one thing, but I can tell you this: when the UA made peace with Israel um, for about two to three years, some people would argue longer. There was an under-the-radar normalization going on that cooked up towards the Abraham Accords. What we're seeing in Saudi now, we're going to see a harbinger, like a canary in the mine, is this under-the-radar normalization. It's going on now. Hundreds of companies in the energy space, clean tech space, in Saudi right now, working under the radar. And suddenly in the north, which is literally the pole opposite direction towards peace. Israel has signed, courtesy of Yair Lapid, a deal which focuses terrorist minds on joint opportunities of billions of dollars worth of gas revenue. Mm. So the deal between Israel and, let's just say, the Lebanese government stroke Hezbollah, because they sanction, they, they're like the House of Lords of Lebanon, aren't they? They're basically the, <laughs> the, the upper chamber... <laughs> They've done this deal, and Netanyahu campaigned and said, oh, I'm going to rip it up, but he's not going to rip it up, is he? This is, this is good news for refocusing terrorist minds on joint interests. Look, I, I think the deal could have been better. If it would have been BB negotiating it, we know it would have been better. Mm. But it's not the end of the world. It's not a bad deal. It's better than no deal. I mean, that's what... Mm. Look, I'm not going by what Riyadh Lapid is trying to sell me. I'm going by what the security experts of the State of Israel who are non-political people, and who I ultimately have trust in. Enough of this, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry wanting to be now a security expert. The security experts are there, and they protect my country. And so I trust them. Let's start with that. Um, Could we have nuanced it a bit better? Yes. I think the deal will remain in place. I think what it does is a few things, which is good for us. One is, it gives the Lebanese government 
the non-Hezbollah part of the Lebanese government a little bit of, 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 of breathing room. It gives the Lebanon... It gives Lebanon um, income that is not based on Iran. So that helps them out a little bit. And ultimately, the gas fields were never really in our territory. There are some borderline gas fields, and we're going to be getting something out of that. Like I said, not, a, not, not the deal of the dreams that we would have wanted, but um, the security experts say that give or take, it's not a bad deal for Israel. And what it does is, again, you know, it's all about baby steps. We'll talk about Qatar in a minute because it's kind of the same thing. When you have a deal with Lebanon that is mentioning Israel 50 times in the deal, when they don't even want to recognize that we exist, but you now have a deal and Israel is mentioned 50 times, we've moved half a baby step forward. This is great stuff. It's a win-win situation as he presents it. We will talk about Qatar in just a moment because they have won themselves the greatest soft power gift in the world which is the football world cup did you see the fifa guy saying that it was a mistake yes i did do you believe him uh no he said he voted for the united states as well he is a gunner isn't he yeah he's a gunner yeah he might even they're know all on means. the take over there yeah it's... oh well, fifa is supposed to be quite a corrupt body yeah it? i mean i don't think there's anything that isn't about it but let's see if the new leadership are different from the old guys as the Who said, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, meantime, we've had two World Cups, one in Russia and one in Qatar. Let's hope for <laughs> Hang one. Hang on, Tehran next. <laughs> yeah, Iran. Iran. <laughs> Iran and other places that I was going to make a joke about, which I'm not going to. On. Well, we don't want you to get we're not gonna, sniper shot. Not again. Um, now, in the last Israeli government, we had an Islamist arm... Yes. And in this government, we have Smotrich and Ben Gavir. Now, um, however much of a defensive person to the state of Israel as a Jewish state is, some of those words are way too salty for mainstream politics. How is Netanyahu, the pragmatist, going to give them a shtech? Because they actually, you know, whilst they have a place in a, in a, in a, a broad church government, some of the things they've said in history are yeah. red line. No, I agree with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in England, as you know now, for the week. And honestly, I just hope I'm not in the position that I'm having to, uh, to uh, justify Ben Gavir and Smotrich. You know, I'm a, you fem- will. I'm a feminist. <laughs> They're not exactly my cup of tea either. No. Um, but, let's, but, but look, ultimately, Israel is a democracy, okay? And these people were legitimately elected. And the reason they were elected is not because their electorate are racist or misogynist or homophobic. The reason they were elected is because we have, at the moment, a terrible um, problem in Israel of lack of uh, law and order within our country. The yeah. police has been very weak, very much weakened over the last few years. Um, the the very extreme elements of Arab-Israeli society. You know, we, we spoke about earlier, that, you know, the, the kind of uh, very successful Arab entrepreneurs in high tech that are doing very, very well and are moving the economy. But we didn't speak about the pockets of extremists within Arab-Israeli society. And it's not even nationalistic. Criminal also in the south of the country, for example, the Bedouins are out of control. It's like a state within a state there. A lot of break-ins, people who own farms, whose animals are being stolen. So there's a lack. There is a, a lack of 
governance in the peripheral areas of Israel. And if anything has brought Ben Gvir and Smotrich into power, it's them mainly campaigning on cleaning shop, cleaning mm-hmm. the house. Mm-hmm. That's really... Ben Gvir basically is on a wave of, you know, of we've got to clean up what's going on in this country with all these criminals. Protection, for example, is a huge problem. The protection money in the south of Israel. Mafia. Mafia. This is, we're talking about internal security. We're not talking about the threat of the Palestinians on the other side of the West Bank. We're not talking about any type of Lebanese threat. No, we're talking about people who live as citizens of the state of Israel who are running little pockets of mafia around the country. And they got that vote. And so my guess is that Netanyahu is going to give them those ministries and are going to make them stay in their lane. Very clever. And he has always been he's a pragmatist. He's, well, he's, he's a very skillful politician. Well, if you see how he won these elections. Yeah. He won because, because he basically ensured that his block was safe. So he got Ben Gavir and Smotrich were two different parties. He got them to sign a deal so they wouldn't waste any votes in case one of them didn't pass the threshold. And he got the Haredim, the ultra Orthodox, who were at each other's throats. The two Ashkenazi parties, I mean, I love it. It's not Ashkenazi Sephardi anymore. It's Hasidim versus Lithuanians. So Jews is like, you know, 20 yeah. different. So the Hasidim and the Lithuanians were at each other's throats. And Netanyahu got them, banged their heads together and said, get your, get your act together. And because he did that, he won. Yair Lapid, in the meantime, failed to convince Labour and Meretz to join. And also the Arab parties went their own way. I mean, I'm very happy that Balad didn't cross the threshold because Balad, Sami Abu Shahade, is encourages terrorism against Israeli soldiers. Mm-hmm. This is who the man is. Why should the Israeli no government way. be paying this guy's salary? No way. It's a joke. So I'm very happy that he's, you know, you know, can get on his horse and, and go back to his village and, and leave us alone. Um, but but um, but Yair Lapid is not a skillful politician. He has his advantages. He's done some good things, but ultimately he doesn't reach Bibi's, you know, threshold. Threat. He doesn't reach his no. ankle no. in political no. maneuvering. No, he doesn't. He's the main man. We'll talk about Qatar in just a moment because that's how you trail subjects. But I want to talk about you here because one of the most impressive things about you is your ability to be able to communicate on some level with everyone. And it's not just about being in Jerusalem, which is the most multi-ethnic potpourri in the world with all its sensibilities and its histories. But it's also your own background because... You happen to have been born in the epicenter of all <laughs> identities in the sense that you're British and Spanish mm-hmm. and Sephardi and Latino and now Israeli and Moroccan. <laughs> and have I missed anything? I'm like, a, I'm like an egg. You can you, cook you, me you, anyway. That's right. You, <laughs> speak, you, speak, you spoke Spanish on the street. You spoke English um, in, in, in the bank. <laughs> and all these things come together to create you. I mean, I think everyone should be a Gibraltarian coming into Israeli politics. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure they, they have the stomach for it, I swear. Um, 
Yes, but yes, and also you can't forget that I come from a political background, which I think is crucial, because I think that a lot of new immigrants are put off politics because they just think, oh my God, you know, what a you know, den of iniquity, what a, what a snake pit. And I think that, you know, having been brought up in, you, you do what you know, and I've been brought up in a political home helps, helps yes. you to kind of debunk the, the kind of fear of politics. And let's give him a credit, the, the late First Minister Hassan was the first First Minister the first of Chief Gibraltar. Minister, Chief Minister. Yeah. Um, which made you the honourable Fleur when you Apparently were Apparently I wasn't honourable, no. <laughs> uh, but but they you, told you, me you, were, you were like Sasha and Malia, Obama, <laughs> yes. growing up in Gibraltar, you and your sister Marla. Sasha and Malia. You were. <laughs> Sasha and Malia, you can have that dog. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't get a dog. You didn't get a dog. <laughs> we got a cat and it wasn't the same. <laughs> and, and, and probably a few monkeys as well, given their well, Gibraltar. Well, you laugh, you laugh, but... My father, because he was the chief minister, comes to us and comes to my mum one day and said, the monkey's authority, we have a monkey's yeah, authority, want to name a monkey in your name to my mother. My mother's like, <laughs> my mother's like I don't want a monkey with my name. Name the girls. <laughs> so I had a monkey with my name because my mother didn't want a monkey yeah. with her name. I stayed at the colony, tried to open up the balcony, and I was realised I was sharing the room if I opened up the door. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a big monkey issue on uh, on the high street in Gibraltar <laughs> next to the Norwich and Peterborough Building Society and the W H Smith. I yes. love I love Gibraltar. I know. I love the three pin plugs. I love everything about it. Um, Qatar. Yeah. Now I've got my knickers in a twist here, I heard. and the reason I mean I'm the only schmuck who's who's <laughs> who's not going. Right. <laughs> But I can't live with construction workers having their passports taken off them and then killed, sort of balancing on a rope above a stadium. And then, oh, he's dead, never mind. He's from Kenya, who yeah. gives the monkeys about. And by the way, we've got his passport, so yeah. well, his parents, his kids, they won't know he's dead. No, yeah. Forget it. And there's thousands of those. Yes. Can't live with that, can't live with that. I will look at the opening ceremony with those, you know, that beautiful um, stadia and think, well, how many were killed there? Yeah. You know, is there any stadia with less dead people uh, you know you cannot build a stadium with universal values which are the World Cup around slavery which is what it is that's the first thing the second thing is they haven't signed the, the Abraham Accords and I'm a bit from about that I think yeah. it's the roadmap for peace moving forward it guarantees the Jewish state it says we are who we are before we go out and shake hands and make peace we don't do perhaps what Europeans have done in the last 50 or 60 years and said, no, we're European, not German. We're European, not British, which, of course, the British rejected yeah. uh, in 2016 with the Brexit vote. Um, so was I wrong to do that? I mean, 30,000 Israelis are going to the World Cup? Yeah. Whew. OK, so first of all, I admire you for doing it. I think it's good to stand by your principles. I think that history will harsh the people involved with this. Uh, will judge them harshly and will judge you favourably. So that makes you feel better. Thank you. I think that you did a, the right thing to stand by your principles. I think I'm the only one as well. I think you are. But but this is the irony, you see. You know, meanwhile, the whole world, Israel builds a brick in the wrong place and everybody's boycotting Israel and you say, I don't want to go to a venture that has killed innocent civilians in the process of making these stadiums and somehow you're the only one in the, doing that, standing over the parapet, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So, first of all, well done, and I, I'm the same as you. Um, actually, somebody did say to me, would you like to go? And I said, no, thank you. Um, 
So, so I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think that if we didn't have voices like you, then nobody would even remember about these poor, you know, yeah. people who've been treated so badly. So terribly, and we'll never know their names. Never. We don't exactly know where they're from. That's it. It's, it's terrible. Now, someone a bit like us, who believes in the things that we believe in, Jason Greenblatt does go to Qatar, and if I was an American, and I was charged with making peace in the world, I would also go to try and make exactly. things better. That's a different situation. Exactly. So, exactly. So, if people are going with the purpose of... I think Qatar is a country that still hasn't decided what it wants. Mm. On the one hand, they really want to be part of the, you know, uh, the, the nation, uh, the, the, the brotherhood of nations or whatever. I'll say brotherhood, you know, sisterhood. Um, yeah, no, you forgot yourself there. Yes. Um, <laughs> on the one hand, I think they want to be part, like the UAE. They do want to be like the UAE. Mm. And one of the things that Kushner did before he left office was the... Um, the kind of uh, breaking of the hostility between the UAE and Qatar. People forget that. But before... That's before a Kushner, really big thing. Yeah, before Kushner left, left office. And the rumour was that he was basically preparing the groundwork for Qatar joining the Abraham Accords. They just ran out of time. Um, but Qatar still hasn't decided what they want to be. On the one hand, you've got Al Jazeera with its horrible, terrible, toxic coverage you know, based on anti-Israel, anti-West, etc. And on the other hand, you know, they they want to, you know, put the uh, the, the World Cup and they want to be part of, like, everyone else. Um, they flirt a little bit with the idea of the Abraham Accords, but they can't quite decide whether they want to curtail their extremism. So Qatar is still hasn't decided what it wants. And if it does decide... Um, that it does want to join the Abraham Accords and of course it gets their house in order in terms of the treatment of foreign workers etc then Israel you know is always going to be um, wanting to make peace with more and more Arab countries look at MBS MBS has actually done a veritable very slow and quiet revolution in this country Mm -hmm. and again in the Arab world you have to remember everything is baby steps like Mm -hmm. I said with Lebanon Mm -hmm. so the fact that women can now drive in, in the Saudi you know, a Westerner hears this and goes, what? This is what you're clinging on to? But it's a step mm-hmm. in a very conservative mm-hmm. country. It's a step towards something else. The fact that Israeli companies are now working in Saudi is a step towards something else. And so we have to, we have to be patient. I think Israelis are very impatient people. Yes. And the Arabs are people who cook slowly. Mm-hmm. In other words, they need to build trust and they need to get to know you and and that it's a very different way of seeing things and doing things it's a cultural gap between the west and the arab and the arab world you know these things being of north african background yes. being amongst muslims in gibraltar they are respectful of shabbos and respectful very. of jewish traditions i was told uh, my first ever trip to Gibraltar, it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. You have to, the guy in the shop, you have to go back. It's your Shabbat. Yes. You have to go back. I was telling me, and he's, I'm Muslim. I know these things. Yes. He's telling me. Okay, I'm say, going, I'm going. And they say Shabbat Shalom. And yeah, it's nice. It's a it's lovely nice. way to grow up. Well, let me just tell you, the UAE, you go there, you're a kosher person. Yeah. They're extremely respectful yeah. and knowledgeable. It's nice. Of what you can and can't eat. It's nice. Now, there's an, hang on, there's an elephant in the room. Go on. Right, and it's MBS. Yes. So MBS hasn't been allowed in the United States. He didn't come to the Queen's Lavoya. Uh, he hasn't well, been he's here allowed for two here. Years. 
Of course he was allowed. He wasn't allowed in England? No, because of what happened to Khashoggi in the Turkish Embassy. Oh, give me a break. No, it's pretty bad chopping someone up who's going in there for a kasuva. It's pretty bad. <laughs> That's what he went in there for. For a what? Kasuva, kutuba. Oh, He went in there for a kasuva, right? His missus is in the car. And just popping in. And they chopped him up into pieces. Not nice. Right. It's not nice. It's a criminal act. It's a vicious criminal act. And Boris, quite rightly, because things are slightly different on this side of the earth. And here is the schism, right, between... Yeah, but meanwhile, in the Palestinian Authority... People are getting chopped up every day. Yeah, we're not doing gay, that to gay men. No, no, gay men are I getting know. thrown no, from rooftops. Like... And is it this stopping Mahmoud no. Abbas from coming to England? Give me a break. Look, and say studied Holocaust they revision cherry... in Russia. And look, he's a, bad, cherry... he's a bad lad. No, but they cherry pick the outrage. No, okay. So that's not my contention. They're oh. both they're both bad. They're both bad. Right. But why isn't anybody talking about the other one? Right. So here's my issue here. And I have spoken to a number of people in NATO and Deborah Haynes at Sky, who's the security and defence correspondent there. Right. And we have something really daft here called ethical foreign policy. Really? Right. So people like, for example, MBS, or oh, no, he killed Khashoggi, can't have him here. We've got to make peace with, you know, um, the Messiah only. Um, <laughs> and eth- but, does ethical right. foreign policy... No, it doesn't extend to the other... Include, include no. giving money to the Palestinians no. who are paying but, but, people to kill Jews. But what does I, that include But that? what I'm saying is, in Israel, the we, we all know, well, some of us understand it better than others, that uh, you can't have uh, a thriving country and economy without security and peace. And peace sometimes means reaching out to the worst possible tyrant... And that is something Britain uh, doesn't always understand, whereas Israel not just does understand, but has to, has to understand. They have no choice. It's That's existential. It. That's it. It's existential. Well, yeah, but look, but look how silly the West policy is about Saudi. You know, they Biden started off the administration saying, oh, we don't want Saudi because of, the, you know, what they did to Khashoggi and this and that. Meanwhile, he went crawling on his hands and knees for oil and for them not to cap oil, you know, a couple of years ago. So tell me how Saudi thinks about America. They've lost total respect. You know, it's it, you have to understand the mentality. Um, I'm not saying, you know, any act of human, viol- human rights violations are justified anyway. They're not. But unfortunately, the big picture sometimes supersedes the, the micro, because in the end, the micro will be positively affected by the bigger picture. Do you know what I'm saying? I know entirely, and I understand that. Um, Fleur, you've had a wonderful career so far, and I don't think there's any end to your ambition. What, what's next <laughs> for you? How, who, the end you know, ambition. you know, if doors get shut, you're going to be back to knock on them again. No, what, when doors get shut, I jump through the window. I jump through. <laughs> nice. Um, in Yiddish, we say the hoika fenster, the high windows. I take the, your word for it. I'm Moroccan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, uh, but you know, I have an exchange on, on, on uh, Moroccan Yiddish. That's not exactly the term with with Korean. I've of learned course. some great, some oh, great Yiddish have. words, words from the Moroccan culture which we don't have, which are marvelous. Yes. You know, Fdoli, for example, yeah. is marvelous. Uh, someone who gets involved in everything, a kibitza is a fdoli. <laughs> anyway, um, what was the question? Yeah, what's next? <laughs> what's next? Not my, not, not, my, uh, not my East versus West Yiddish. Um, I don't know what's next. You know, in politics, you never know. There's another municipal election next year. So I could run again. Um, are you going to? I don't know yet. Because this is like a Trump question. Are you going to run? Are you going to run in 2023? I, I haven't decided. I'll make a big announcement in oh, January. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you've got to get ready. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. How many years have you been? 
So I've been in the City Council since 2016, and I've been Deputy Mayor since end of 2018. So I'm coming now to four years. My term is five years. Um, and the possibility is to stay, run again, or um, see what pans out with this government and see if there's a senior role that plays to my, um, my you know, unique contributions to the country. Minister for the Abraham Accords countries. Well, there wouldn't be a ministry, but maybe special envoy or maybe... Diplomat, ambassador to Bahrain or UAE or... I I would definitely like to be an ambassador at some point, but not now. My kids are still... You'd be a great British ambassador. That would be fun. But my kids are... Your English is good. Yeah, I I could could manage with my English. I wouldn't have to, uh, you know, uh, walk around with a translator. Um, But but basically... (laughs) But basically... um, But is it as good as the last, the guy before him? Oh, yeah. Mark is great. Um, but I um, I don't know. But I, I, I don't want to be an ambassador right now because I have four children. Two of them will be in the army next year. One of them is already in the army. The second will be in the army next year. And two teenagers that if I move them, they'll hate me for the rest of my life. And I'll spend all my money on therapy of why I uprooted <laughs> them. Oil I did, why I uprooted them from their friends. Sure. So I, I eventually I would definitely want some type of diplomatic role. At the moment, I'm, you know, I'm staying in Israel, in Jerusalem. And inshallah, you just don't know what's going to happen in this crazy country and in the world of politics. So we'll see. I just hope I can be in a place that I can represent my country and positively influence the region. You certainly do that. And uh, Fleur, this is about the 96th episode of Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Wow! It is the first one ever that I will not do a single edit to. No. This has been pure Fleur Hassan Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. For joining us all here on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you so much. The best guests and their most heartfelt views a relay of their missions to a worldwide audience. Hi, it's Johnny again, just popping in at the end of this one. 100 episodes along, and I'm proud that it's fast become the podcast of record. This is coverage of the Jewish and Israeli world that just doesn't get properly aired in mass media, and I'm not ashamed to ask for your help. A one-off donation is always gratefully received to support my efforts, but a monthly donation really gets our service off the ground. Your donation can also be made with gift aid and it's so easy to do, just click on this donorbox.org slash JG podcast. That's donorbox.org slash JG podcast. Are you in? Please share my series with your friends and thank you for listening. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is supported by UK Teremet, promoting philanthropy.